Welcome to Valley Baptist University, an online ministry of Valley Baptist Church, where we seek to worship God with all our minds. I'm Eric Hahn, Dean of VBU. This segment is part eight on the subject Christianity versus the new spirituality, or sometimes called progressive Christianity. Today we explore the question, what if I've had a bad experience with Christianity? Hey everyone, have you ever heard someone say, I just left traditional Christianity and church because I had a bad experience. As we wrap up this series, Christianity versus the New Spirituality, something that's come to my attention in much of my research is how this plays into people's stories, the story or stories of the bad experience. Now, if you are someone who feels like you've been burned by Bible-believing Christians, I do want you to know that I in no way am trying to invalidate your feelings or your hurt. This is a biblical principle. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Also, there are very few people I know in my own church circles who think professing Christians live and function as Christ-like as they should in striving for genuine Christ-likeness in the presence and power of His Spirit and Word. Still, many if not most I hear from in progressive spirituality groups are not only coming from Christian churches, but they have some serious issues with those closest to them. I find there's a lot of pastor's kids. Now, I relate to that because I am a pastor's kid. Both my parents just passed away in the last seven weeks. And my parents weren't perfect, but I will say my story from their witness and experience is markedly different than much of what I hear. However, I did go through a very serious season of extreme doubt when I was in college. I was a borderline deist. Uh, for a few weeks or a few seasons in my life. And I will say this, I didn't feel more wholeness or fulfillment in my life. Quite frankly, it was very empty. And what I want to ask is if you will be humbly open to other stories or other sides of the story. What I want to do is present five points addressing the subject, I've had a bad experience and five points responding to that that goes beyond empathy, but not taking away from empathy. So number one, right off, from a biblical Christian worldview, life in this world is full of bad experiences. Now wait, right off, I'm not saying this meaning, hey, you toughen up, that's life, get over it. What I'm saying is that this is a historic biblical worldview. Romans 8 says everything has been subjected to futility and the bondage of corruption. And so we groan within ourselves waiting for the redemption of our bodies. That's the Bible. A lot of what I hear and read in the bad experience testimonies seems to stem from a kind of health and prosperity worldview, which is actually antithetical to Scripture, even for the faithful in Scripture, in some ways especially for the faithful in Scripture. If you search the Bible from beginning, middle to end, you are going to find suffering. 
You go to the first faithful person in the Bible, a guy named Abel. He presented a faithful sacrifice. He was brutally murdered by his biological brother, Cain. You go to the middle era of David's time. You find Uriah served King David faithfully. He had his wife stolen from him for adultery, and he was put on the front line of the battle to die. You go to the New Testament times and you have John the Baptist described by Jesus as the greatest of the prophets. And he had doubts because things weren't lining up the way he thought they were, but Jesus presented evidence of his identity. Still, John the Baptist was beheaded for speaking the truth. Then there's all of Jesus' apostles. All of them were martyred or at least tortured, living in deprivation in countless ways in many ways because of their faithfulness. Jesus himself even predicted suffering for his followers. And Jesus even alluded to the fact that in our lifetime on earth, we will never completely eradicate poverty. He said the poor we will always have with us. There's a very popular Christian music artist named John Steingart. He's the former frontman of Christian band Hawk Nelson. And recently, he announced to the world that he no longer believes in God, but then later he started quoting people like Richard Rohr and Carl Jung and Mike McCarg and other progressive Christians. And Steingard talks about a pivotal time when he went to Uganda and witnessed serious suffering. Now, I've been to Zambia and places like that. I've seen that kind of suffering. It's definitely heart-wrenching. But Steingard described how that played into why he threw out his former Christian beliefs. In fact, in a conversation with Sean McDowell, Sean pointed out to John that Uganda is actually 87% professing Christian. So we stepped back and asked the question, why would a Christian from America lose his Christian faith going to Uganda by witnessing suffering, while the Ugandans who are the ones experiencing the suffering, are coming to Christ in droves. I think a very simple factor is that they are coming to a devoted relationship to Christ in accordance with a biblical Christian worldview. In Uganda and Zambia and all kinds of other places where they're suffering, they read the Bible and they realize, just like Abel, Jeremiah, Jesus' apostles, their devotion to Christ is actually based on a biblical worldview as opposed to some kind of this life, health, and prosperity view. All right, number two. We've looked at this before, but often in these bad experience stories, disagreement of views is conflated with being unloving or even hateful or bigoted. In other words, if somebody says, I love you, but I just think marriage is between a man and a woman, immediately somebody says, you're unloving, you're hateful. Is that correct? Well, we've looked at some of this before. 1 Corinthians 13 says a lot of good things about love, but it also says love rejoices in the truth. In Ephesians 4.15, the Apostle Paul says we are to be speaking the truth in love. In Hebrews 12.6, it says he whom the Lord loves, he chastens, meaning disciplining in the truth. Not only that, in John chapter 4, and knowing Jesus' view of fidelity in marriage, Jesus told a woman at the well in John 4, he says, you've had five husbands, and the one you're currently with is not your husband. Jesus is somebody, whether it was talking about morality, heaven and hell, 
Jesus spoke the truth in love. Ex-progressive spiritualist Josh Morris, who went from traditional Christianity to progressive Christianity and then back out of that to traditional Christianity, when he walked away from it to a genuine faith in Christ, he said this about his experience. He said, in progressive Christianity, we often emphasized God is love. He says, but the way it really played out is love is God. He said, it's like we created our own construct of what love is, and we worship that like a God. A lot of progressive Christian authors like to focus on important truth. These are important. Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We affirm that. That's extremely important. But how are we going to love the Lord our God with heart, soul, mind, and strength if we can barely even define God? How can we love anything or anyone if we don't really have a working definition of what love is? Is love involved with truth? Is love just enabling? All right, number three. Often bad experience testimonials portray a kind of straw man version of Christianity. Now, straw man is the idea of erecting something flimsy in order so you can tear it down or burn it down. Some of these attempts may not be intentional. It might be involuntary straw men. I gave you an example. So Brian Claren, in his book, Everything Must Change, he tells a story of listening to a speaker in another country where he had his peers there also. And the speaker said, now, in all my childhood, in all the services I attended, I only heard one sermon. The sermon was, you are a sinner. You are going to hell. You need to repent and believe in Jesus. Jesus might come back today. If he does and you're not ready, you will burn in hell forever. And McLaren says, my friends and I were laughing in recognition because this is the only sermon we had ever heard too. I read that and I thought, I have been cognitively aware of sermons going back in churches to 1972. I don't think I've ever been part of a church where that was the only servant that was ever preached. In fact, right now in our own church, on Sunday morning, we're in the book of Revelation, Jesus' message to the churches, talking about some of you lack love, some of you lack discernment, some of you lack works, and so you need to repent of that. On Wednesday night, we're in Ecclesiastes, Solomon's attempts to find fulfillment. So it's an affront to the attitude looking at possessions or prestige or sex or, or mirth instead of experiencing meaningful life and following God. These are what we teach in a church right now where I am. When I look at this, I, I challenge you. If you, right now, if you're in a church or you just left a church that isn't attempting to preach the Bible as the whole counsel of God, and every Sunday you're getting a one or two sentence message summarized by Turner Byrne, you don't need to go into progressive spiritual ideals like discover the divine within Christ consciousness. I want to challenge you to fight a new church. Okay, now, number four, and these two sort of go together. Often, bad experience stories are anecdotal. They're not taking more comprehensive facts into account. An anecdotal story or idea can be defined like this. My wife, a little while back, went to a McDonald's. At the McDonald's she went to, they told her, we are all out of quarter pounders. Now, 
most of us would realize that if we spent the rest of our lives saying, not going back to McDonald's, there's no quarter pounders at McDonald's, probably most of us would realize that's not a good comprehensive view of all McDonald's. Most of the time, you could get a quarter pounder at McDonald's. But see, that's anecdotal evidence. We went to one and we extrapolated it onto everything else. That's what a lot of bad experience stories are doing. I've challenged some people to take a little more comprehensive view, like in the book, Christians are Hate-Filled Hypocrites and Other Lies You've Been Told. You have a sociologist from the University of Connecticut who's done a comprehensive view, and it's warts and all, but it's a different picture than what you're gonna get in your echo chambers. Now, often people just say, no, that I just can't be true, because I just, I just know. I know Christians never did anything good for anyone. Now, Again, is that anecdotal? What are you basing that on? I had a guy say that to me one time when I was living in a town where the adjacent city had all the hospitals where people went for serious stuff. And I literally had to tell him, I will get back to this conversation, but I have three hospital visits to make. One is at the Lutheran hospital, one is at the Methodist hospital, and one is at the Mercy or Catholic hospital. You were saying again that Christians have never done anything for anyone? I was actually living in New Orleans in seminary, and my daughter had to go in for some very serious treatment, and it was at the Baptist hospital. My dad just passed away seven weeks ago. In the last seven to ten months to two years, he's been in and out of a hospital in Dallas, a Baptist hospital. Some of you have insurance. It's called Blue Cross. Blue Cross was developed by evangelical Christians. There's times I go visit people in the hospital and God help them, God bless them. I try to empathize that they just say, Jesus isn't doing anything for me. And the hospital was founded by Christians and they're on insurance that was founded by Christians. We're coming up to the holidays. Ever heard of the Salvation Army? Founded by Christians. I mean, we can just keep going on and on and on with this. Brian McLaren, actually, in his book, Everything Must Change, says, we've got to have change because the government needs to be focused on disaster relief. And as progressive Christians, we're going to do that. We're going to call them out, set up disaster relief on call to be mobilized I don't know if Brian McLaren realized this, but our Baptist denomination has on-call disaster relief. In fact, in 2017 alone, they recruited 65,000 volunteers. That year, they recruited more volunteers than the Red Cross. Well, you say, well, but what about wars? I mean, Christianity, Christianity's caused more wars than anything or anyone. Now, right off, you're probably getting your talking point wrong that you mean to say. What you've actually heard in your community college sociology class or in a chat room is that religion is the cause of more wars than anything in history. But even with that, for one thing, a biblical worldview opposes false religions, so don't lump us into all that. But is even that talking point correct? There is a book that has logged this. It's called Encyclopedia of Wars. And after extensive research, they concluded that religion has only directly caused 6.98% of wars in history, and roughly 4% of those were specifically spawned by Islam, a religion we would consider a false religion. You say, well, Eric, what about slavery? Aha, yeah, Christians and 
Slavery, well, okay, virtually every culture in recorded history has had some kind of slavery, but how did slavery end in modern times? William Wilberforce almost single-handedly ended the English slave trade based intrinsically on his devout Christian worldview. So no, no, not, okay, Eric, not England, not England. What about America? Okay, how about America? Pastor Henry Ward Beecher was an abolitionist in Brooklyn, New York. I've been to the location of his church. At one time, Abraham Lincoln attended his church in order to send the optic to his potential voters that he sided with the abolition. That's how much of an impact Beecher had on abolition. His daughter, Christian pastor's daughter, Harriet Beecher Stowe, wrote the book Uncle Tom's Cabin, which arguably had more influence on abolition than just about anything else from that era. Now, someone will push back and say, yeah, but that's a long time ago. What about more modern times? So you mean like maybe the HIV AIDS epidemic? Yeah. Okay, so right now in the fall of 2022, there's an interview with Bono of the rock band U2 in Christianity Today. Bono says to the interviewer, the thing that turned America around, that helped inspire a conservative president of the United States to take up the fight against HIV AIDS and lead the world in what was the greatest, largest intervention in the history of medicine, were conservative Christians. Now, I know what it's like when young, I'm not young anymore, but oh, but we're, we're not settling. We're, we're something more. You don't understand our generation. See, well, okay, for one thing, the leaders of progressive spirituality, the two most prominent are Richard Rohr and Paul Young. Both of them are baby boomers. And they are saying essentially what progressive spiritual boomers have been saying for decades. In fact, there's a book by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Kluck. They are millennials. The book is called Why We Love the Church. And they're honest about the shortcomings of evangelical Christianity, but they take a much more studied and rounded view. Now, they do point out 18 to 24-year-olds consider themselves the least religious, followed by 25 to 34-year-olds, and then 35 to 44-year-olds, and on up the ladder. And so it says, okay, yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. See, our generation, yeah, but that quote is taken from a survey done in 1990. That was over 30 years ago. But there's another quote from a survey. They say recent surveys show that young people generally hold sharply negative attitudes concerning church and religion. See, yeah, yeah, recent survey, that's us. We hold negative attitudes. And so, but that survey was actually from the mid-1970s. That was roughly 50 years ago, which lends itself to this question. And it's just a question. Is the public wave of deconstruction really that unique to our current generation of young people? Are there really more people turning their back on church and Jesus now, or do they have more platform on social media? Now, I know you can say, I've had a bad experience. You can't dismiss this. Okay, I'm not trying to dismiss this. 
I'm really not. But I want to say this, number five, for bad experiences. Other testimonials bear evidence of bad experiences within progressive spirituality. We've looked in previous segments about Carl Jung. Carl Jung lived with a live-in mistress, much to the chagrin of his wife and kids. He had sexual relationships with patients. We would call that misogyny. We would call that an affront to the Me Too movement. Elisa Childers, if you get a chance to read her testimony, she was in a church that was moving into progressivism in their views, and she was marginalized. If she were to hold traditional views, they say, well, you're just not going to fit in here. Ken Wilbur is somebody who is highly influential. He's quoted by Richard Rohr and Rob Bell and others. He was raised Southern Baptist, but then he went into integral spirituality. There's an entire expose on him by a follower of his named Mark Manson. Manson's not even a Christian, but he calls it the rise and fall of Ken Wilbur. He says that he saved up all kinds of money to go to one of Wilbur's conferences. And he said, finally, he realized in general that they were going to this conference that turned out to just be sort of a narcissistic experiment. He says, supposedly, they were talking about how integral they were and how important they were to the world without seemingly doing anything on a larger scale about it. He said, for a philosophy based on including and integrating as much as possible, its followers sure expressed it by forming a nicely sealed bubble around themselves. And then Wilbur started getting questioned about his views, and he pushed back with what the author called a childish dozen or so verbal blank storms that clarified nothing, justified nothing, and personally attacked everyone and strawmanned the bleep out of his critics' claims. Manson went on to say the brilliant scientist turned monk, turned recluse, turned new age celebrity whose ideas changed everything for so many people devolved into the butt of another new age joke. He said, how the mighty have fallen. He said, what I learned and what I was taught from this is that no depth of spiritual experience can negate our physical and primal drives for power, lust, and validation. Now, I don't know if Mark has ever looked into the biblical true Jesus, but what he's saying there is a key plank of our biblical gospel that all have sinned and all we like sheep have gone astray. There was an L.A. yoga studio leader, a guru, Yogi Bahan, who was a juggernaut who left two generations of followers reeling from alleged abuse in sexual and emotional and physical ways. Even beyond that, a very influential progressive spirituality teacher, a guru named Andrew Cohen, was ridden with scandal. And he was actually trying to attempt to return to teaching, but his abused students have started signing a petition of testimonies to keep him out of teaching because of his abusive ways. I know people have had lots of experiences. People will tell me, you Christians, you just, you say the meanest things. I don't know if you realize that one of the grandmothers of progressive spirituality, Shirley MacLaine, just in 2015, said this. She said, what if most Holocaust victims were just balancing their karma from ages before? I mean, not only is that offensive, it's offensive to me, 
But there's a direct correlation from that to her intrinsic worldview. That is not a biblical Christian worldview. Well, somebody says, but evangelical Christianity is just self-righteous moralizing. You're the religious establishment. You're like the Pharisees. You're legalistic. That's what Jesus would have opposed. Well, Josh Morris came out of progressive Christianity, and when he was in it, he describes it this way. He says progressive Christianity is essentially legalism. He says, in order to fit in, you have to constantly keep up with all these ongoing works-related social justice type issues and other things. He said, we talked about our movement like it's anything goes. He said, but if you cross the lines of their ideologies, you'll find out just how judgmental they really are. Colby Martin in his book, The Shift, actually admits this. Colby Martin actually has an entire chapter entitled, When Progressives Attack. And he goes on to say it turns out that such shortcomings, meaning people attacking each other, are unavoidable features of what it means to be human, regardless of what side of the spectrum you call home. Now, wait a minute, Colby. I totally agree with that, but that's our worldview. That's not the worldview that everyone's intrinsically good and we've just forgotten and we discovered the divine within. That's a worldview that says all we like sheep have gone astray, all have sinned, there's none righteous, no, not one. In fact, it's Colby's mentor, Richard Rohr, who says, I've never met a truly compassionate or loving human who did not have a foundational, even deep trust in the inherent goodness of human nature. I want to say Richard Rohr, meet Colby Martin. Colby Martin, meet Richard Rohr. Martin is saying that humanity has an intrinsic badness. Rohr is saying, if you say that, you can't be compassionate. But Colby Martin, have no fear. You're lined up with William Wilberforce, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, even Mother Teresa, who hold to an inherent badness of human nature. Now, stepping back to this, what do we realize just like what Colby Martin said, yeah, it turns out when you play Monday morning quarterback with another group, you're going to find out there's shortcomings there. But guess what? That applies to the shortcomings of all groups. I'm using Colby Martin's words. Those are unavoidable features of what it means to be human. We don't need to discover our true humanity. We need to be saved from our inherent humanity. Richard Rohr puts it this way. He says it almost like a salesman or an evangelist. He says, our full Christ option, he says, your good news is neither good or new, but our full Christ option, he says, is indeed a free choice to jump on board. So you got these options. Here's your options. Jump on board the Christ full Christ, the universal Christ option, who is a God who is in total solidarity with all of us at every state of the journey and who will get us to our destination together in love. And throughout Rohr and other authors, even Martin, they talk about this global utopian love fest that they're going to create on earth. Now, I read this book, Shift, and I'm asking the question, how are you going to create a global utopian love fest 
If even just your progressive Christian website features people attacking each other, how can you create one if you can't create this? See, this attitude has happened repeatedly in history. You put a bunch of people in an assembly on a journey to discover themselves, and if they're honest, they discover themselves to be sinners. We don't need to know more of ourselves. If we go on an honest journey to discover ourselves, I want to challenge you, you'll discover yourself to be a sinner. And we need to be saved from ourselves. And that's why the word Jesus literally means Savior. In Romans 5.8, it says that God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. And then while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. By me or another pastor or Jesus himself saying you are a sinner, that doesn't mean you are not loved. You are loved even though you are a sinner. I'm loved even though I am a sinner. And God proved this by sending him son, by God in the flesh coming himself to die for our sin so that we can have not only eternal life, but abundant life because he sent his spirit. And Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh, that's all that bad stuff. And Christ forgives us of that, but also comes and empowers us to live that life abundant and eternal. In living that life, be very clear, that doesn't mean I am Jesus. That doesn't mean I am Jesus' spirit. But I have Christ, and I have Christ's spirit. And he gives me love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and even self control. He's the spirit of truth who reveals truth. He convicts. This is what we have in Christ. And you are encouraged to be a true follower of the true biblical Jesus, not the Jesus of our imagination, but the historic biblical Christ who came to earth and died and rose and gives eternal and abundant life. And you can have that beginning today as you call out on him admitting sin and trusting him as the Savior and Lord of your life. Be blessed and we'll see you next time at Valley Baptist University. Thank you for being with us here at VBU. For further reading on this, see the book, The Other Worldview by Dr. Peter Jones. And more specifically for today's topic, Christians are hate-filled hypocrites and other lies you've been told by Bradley Wright. And also, Why We Love the Church by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Clark. This concludes our series on Christianity versus the new spirituality. We hope you will continue to join us for future studies here at VBU as we seek to worship God with all our minds.